Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 5, it says this. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now listen to this verse. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its crop. My message today is entitled, Elijah was a man and he prayed. Did you hear what the word said? The word says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I want you to get that into your head and I want you to get that into your heart. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The Bible also teaches us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So a lot of times when we think about, well, righteousness, well, pastor, I've made some mistakes and I have some faults and I have some failings. I understand, but you have been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because Jesus paid the price for your sins. And by faith, you have accepted his work upon the cross as being enough. You have been saved. You have been declared righteous and you have been declared holy before an almighty God. The title again, Elijah was a man and he prayed. A lot of us will say, pastor, I don't know if my prayers can be powerful and effective. Well, if you're born again, you're righteous, you're holy, you're set apart. Well, you may say, well, I don't feel really super holy. I don't feel super righteous. Well, the word of God says that if any man who is in Christ is a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. I love reading the book of James because the book is so practical and down to earth. He in essence says, hey, you got a problem? You better pray. Are you sick? Call for the elders of the church and pray. Why? Once again, because the prayer of a righteous man, it's powerful. Prayer is powerful and effective. And notice what he said about Elijah. He was a man just like us. The revised standard version says, Elijah was a human being like us. And he prayed fervently. Everybody say fervently. 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 Somehow we think that Elijah and many other Bible characters were superstars. But the word of God says that he was a man just like you and me. That he was ordinary like you and me. But when he prayed, God did extraordinary things. You see, it wasn't that Elijah was so extraordinary. It was that his God was extraordinary. And it may not be that you're so extraordinary, but you serve an extraordinary God. You serve a powerful God. You serve a God who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far above anything. 
anything you could even ask or imagine, that's the God that we serve today. Somehow, as I said with Elijah, he prayed, and when he prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years. Elijah prayed again, and the Bible says that the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. I want you to hear me. God responds. God responds to the prayers and the intercession of his people. You may say, well, pastor, I've kind of given up on praying. I prayed about this and I didn't feel like God answered the way that I wanted him to answer. God responds. Listen to me. The enemy wants to do one thing. He wants to get you to quit praying. He wants you to quit asking. He wants you to quit seeking and to quit knocking. But the Bible teaches us that we're to ask and we're to keep on asking. We're to seek and we're to keep on seeking. We're to knock and we're to keep on knocking. Because the one who asks and seeks and knocks receives. He finds. Okay? And so, but the enemy wants you to think that it's futile to pray. It's futile to seek the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Are you praying? Are you praying? A lot of times... There's people who are around and a lot of times they'll kind of hang their head and no use of, well, I know I'm not praying like I should. Or some of you may say, well, yeah, pastor, I'm one of those 191 people. I prayed five days this week. I prayed six days this week. I signed a paper. I've gotten up. I've set aside a time that I've met with God. I want to explain something to you. When we pray that way, it changes us. When you get up every morning, that's personal devotions. When you do personal devotions, when you spend time with God, when you talk with God, when you listen, when you read his word, it changes you. When Elijah prayed, it changed his environment. It changed the world around him. There's another type of prayer that not only changes us, But it changes the surrounding area around us. There's a prayer that you and I can pray that transforms the atmosphere. And I want to talk about that kind of prayer. I want to talk about a type of prayer that will move Lighthouse into God's vision. Not my vision, not your vision, but God's vision for his church. This is not about what you or I want. And part of the problem whenever people quit praying is this. They have an agenda with God. And can I come down with you? Sometimes people have their own agenda with God. They go to God and they tell him what they want. You know, God, I'm driving a Civic right now. Just had two kids in college. You know, I would really like... And we name the car that we would like instead of our Civic or the thing that we would like. And if God doesn't give that to us or if God doesn't answer our prayer in the way that we've asked him. Did you hear me? In essence, we've demanded from God. We come into his presence and we demand what we want. What was the fast food? Have it your way. Was that Burger King? Burger King. Have it your way. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. 
It's not have it your way. That doesn't work in the kingdom of God. But yet many people will say, Pastor, I prayed and God didn't do what I told him to do. Well, I didn't understand that you were God and he's your servant. That's not the way it is. He's God and you and I are not. When we pray in this way that we're talking about today, it's not about getting what you and I want for the church. We need to become mature enough that we not only pray for our needs but also God's desires. We need to come into alignment with God. What do you desire for my family? What do you desire for my life? What do you desire for my marriage? God, what do you want for my kids' lives? Lord, what do you want to accomplish in Lancaster County? What is it that you are doing? What's important to you, God? Not my will, but yours be done. We need to come into agreement with what Jesus wants for his church. And I'm going to be talking to you today about praying for the church, about coming into alignment with what Jesus wants. You need to understand this. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's not my church. Yes, it's ours. We're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. But the church belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the one who's building his church. And we need to ask him, Jesus, what is it that you want for your church? Pastor Jaime needs to be able to say to God, Lord, what is it that you want for this ministry? For this ministry isn't mine. This ministry is yours. So your life really is not your own. You've been bought with the price. And so we need to ask Jesus, Jesus, what is it that you desire for your church? Prayer and fasting corporately will transform the atmosphere of not only our church, but our region. We're not just talking about New Holland. We're not just talking about your couple of your cousins. Every once in a while, every like 20 years, one of your cousins comes to church and gets saved. When people pray and fast, when people seek God, there's a type of prayer they move into where you come into agreement with what Jesus wants. Jesus, what are you doing? What is your desire? And you begin to prophetically declare the will of Jesus. You start prophetically speaking that this is God's will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So as we pray, we begin to declare the word of God. You begin to pray the word of God over your family, over your lost loved ones, over our community. That righteousness exalts a nation, sends a reproach to any people. And so we begin to pray those types of prayers over our community and over our our church and over our region as we pray and fast corporately it transforms not only new holland we're starts changing lancaster chester and berks counties are impacted because somebody prayed they prayed what jesus wants jesus what do you want for this region Jesus, what do you desire for this part of the state jesus we want to come into alignment with what you're doing and friends you're going to be that somebody You're going to be that person who comes into agreement with Jesus. Once again, I want to talk to you about what we are praying. We know what Jesus is doing right now. The Bible tells us, I told you that last week. Hebrews 7.25 says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So Jesus is praying specifically. He's interceding for you. I want you to think about this. What's Jesus praying? What's Jesus praying for your son or your daughter? What's Jesus praying for your wife? What's Jesus praying for your grandchildren? Jesus is praying. He's interceding for your business. What does Jesus want for your business? See, if you'll listen to him, 
He's speaking. He's a God who communicates. He has a will for our church. He has a plan for our church. He has a purpose for our nation. And we need to find out, Jesus, what is it that you are interceding? What are you praying over us? He said this. We know that Jesus is interceding for us. And we know that Jesus is building his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So many churches and so many people, the mindset of so many in the church is they are afraid of Halloween, they're afraid of the devil, they're afraid of demons, they're afraid of evil, and they're hidden back somewhere like this in the corner, just hoping that me and my family make it okay. You know, it was Halloween last week. I'm not a supporter of Halloween, for those of you who question. I don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. Here's the thing. Jesus is building it. He's building his church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What it means there, the gates are not an offensive weapon. What it means is when he builds his church, the church is going and taking territory that the devil has held captive. He's grabbing a hold of people who've been held captive. He's grabbing a hold of people who are in bondage, who are held back, and he's setting them free. The church is supposed to advance. We're not supposed to run back. We're not supposed to hide. We're not supposed to be cowardly. The church is advancing. Jesus's church is going forward and the obstacles that stand against it will not be able to stand against the church of Jesus Christ. He's building, listen to me, he's building the church. He's building his church. He's accomplishing his work throughout the land. You just need to get it in your head. Jesus is busy. What's he doing? I got to find out what Jesus is doing. That's what you need to ask. Jesus, how are you building your church? Where are you building your church? What are you doing through your church? He's building his church. He's building his church. And you know how he builds it? He uses people like you and me. We become his hands. We become his feet. When you fall in line with what he's saying, when you listen to what he's doing, when you hear his voice, that's why we're getting you to pray on a personal basis because you start hearing what he's saying and and he's telling you to go see this person. He's telling you to pray for this person and he's telling you to help this person. He's telling you to serve in this way and he puts a burden on your heart for somebody. What is that doing? He's building his church and he's using people like you and me. We're his hands, we're his feet. He does his work through you. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for Lighthouse. You have a responsibility. You got a responsibility to take care of your family. You have a responsibility to take care of your yard. Before you go and go to Texas to take care of someone's yard, mow your own stinking yard. All right? So we're going to ask you that you'll make a commitment and join me. This is what I'm asking you to do. The Bible says that there's certain things that are only accomplished through fasting and prayer. The Bible also tells us this, that one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000. There's something about alignment that whenever we pray together, when we pray corporately, and we don't just pray what we all want, we pray the will of God. We ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want? See, it's not about what Steve Ritchie wants for Lighthouse. My name's not on the sign. It's Assembly of God. It's his church. We didn't die for the church. We didn't give our lives for the church. 
Jesus died for the church. He paid the price for the church. So I'm asking you that you will consider fasting, taking one meal a day. I'm going to do Tuesdays. I'm going to do Tuesday morning for breakfast and Tuesday lunch. You can do a whole day if you want. You can do three days. You can do a month if you like. I'm asking you to give us one meal a week. And the time that you would spend eating, that you spend that time in prayer for the church. We're going to do this corporately. On your paper, it gives you an opportunity. It says, with the Lord's help from now to the end of the year, I'll commit to fast one meal each week and pray specifically for my church. And you get to choose the amount of time. Now, it's just once a week. You could fast a meal and you could, if you do a 15-minute lunch. If you do an hour lunch, you need to probably go out to your car at work or take a walk and just start praying. Whatever amount of time that you'll pray, we're going to ask you to make a commitment to do that once a week. Listen, all the Lord's done for you. I don't want to make anybody feel guilty, but I will. All the Lord's done for us. Lord, we want to see you move. You're here because somebody else prayed. Little lady sitting here prayed for me. Second row. That's why I'm here today. That's why I do what I do, because her and my dad prayed for us. That's made a difference in my life. And can I say this to you? The thing that will keep us, the thing that will go against the powers of darkness in our community is as we combine fasting and prayer together, there's something supernatural about it. Whatever time you give to that meal, I'm asking you to give that time in fervent prayer. Okay? Not like Jesus bless. Ask Jesus, what are you doing? What's your will for Lighthouse? Lord, we know that it's your will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, we know that it's your will that people become fully devoted followers of Jesus, that they would serve you with all of their heart. You may ask, Pastor, why are you asking us to pray and fast? Matthew 17, 21 says that there's some things that only come about through fasting and prayer. There's some roadblocks. There's some obstacles that will only be overcome through fasting and prayer. There's some things in your life, the only way you're going to get through it, you're going to have to fast and pray. You can talk about it for months. You can go to counseling for the next 60 years, and it's not going to change. But when you fast and pray, that's the power that breaks through that hindrance. You also see that when a few people pray, it has the potential to affect the many. We see that in the New Testament church. Sometimes we're like, man, I wish everybody would pray. That's not your responsibility for everybody to pray. You get in and do what you're supposed to do. I need to get in and do what I'm supposed to do. We find in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They did it steadfastly. When they did that, fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. What were they doing? They were praying together. One of the things that what we call the the Pentecostal or many of your revival type denominations 
One of the things that moved them, that brought about life transformations in cities and towns, is whenever people would gather together for those old-fashioned cottage prayer meetings. And you'd have people who would gather in homes and they'd gather from house to house and they'd gather in their homes and they'd begin to pray and ask God to move. My little church back home had a revival and they had over 50 people saved back in the country. 50 people saved in one year. And can I tell you that out of that, I don't know how many pastors came out of that church. Pastors all throughout the Potomac District and around pastors and missionaries, people who really did powerful things for God, came out of that, these couple people gathering to pray. A lot of times it was old ladies. It was old ladies who would gather to pray and God moved and powerfully on their behalf. So we see that when a few people pray, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. If it was good enough for them, it might be good enough for you. He taught them how to pray. He gave them a pattern for prayer. And so if it worked for his disciples, it probably works for us. Find somewhere to write these things down. The first thing, six elements of the Lord's Prayer. It starts with our Father. And it's this, God is the solution. God is the answer to whatever your need is. So begin your prayer by praising and thanking him that he's the opposite of whatever your need is. If you're sick, Lord, I praise you that you're my great physician. I thank you, Lord, that you're Jehovah Rapha. You're the God who healeth me. Lord, I praise you. So you start your prayer acknowledging that God is the opposite of your need. He's the opposite of what your request is. If you're afraid, oh, Lord, I thank you that you're my Prince of Peace. Wait, I'm anxious. Oh, Lord, thank you that you're my Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one who gives me a sound mind. If you're lacking something, we come in to pray. You're coming with your request. Lord, I have a need. Just begin to thank him. Lord, thank you that you're Jehovah Jireh. You are my provider. Your grace is more than enough for me, Lord. I thank you that I'll be blessed when I come in. I thank you that you're the one who blesses me when I go out. We start with that God is the solution. You think of the attribute of God that's the opposite of what your need is. The second thing that when we come to pray, we pray thy kingdom come. This is where we seek the Lord for his lordship and his rule in this situation. Lord, what's your will for our church? When you come to pray, you don't come telling him what your will is. You come asking him, Lord, what is your rule? What is your will? May your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. What does your kingdom look like in my marriage? What's your kingdom look like in our church? If your kingdom comes into Lighthouse, what does that look like? If your will is done for Lighthouse, what is your will for Lighthouse? Lord, let your will be done. The third thing is give us this day our daily bread. Lord, provide. Lord, meet the need. From your abundant storehouse in heaven, give us provision. Lord, give me the wisdom that I need for today. From your abundant wisdom, he's not lacking in wisdom. Lord, from your abundant wisdom, give me wisdom. Lord, from your supply of peace, release peace in my life today. Lord, release the faith that I need. I trust you. Help me, Lord. Whatever it is, you ask him to release from his abundant provision. If you need finances, you say, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hill. Thank you that you're meeting my need. The fourth thing is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
This is where we push back or fight against darkness. I want you to hear that. This is where whenever we pray, there's darkness that's opposing the advancement of the church. There's darkness that's opposing the advancement of your family. There's darkness that's opposing you. And this is where we push back against the darkness. What did the word say? Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is where we push forward in prayer. This is where we bind the enemy, where we just declare, Lord, you're the healer. You just start saying it out. Lord, thank you that you're my healer. Lord, thank you that I don't have to fear because perfect love casts out all fear. You begin to declare the authority and the power of God over that resistance that's in your life. You begin to push back the darkness. You begin to resist the darkness. You begin to let the light of God's glory shine on those places. What you say, bro, is, oh, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You see what I'm saying? We're pushing back the darkness by declaring the truth of God's word. We're declaring the authority of God. He's Lord of all. He's King of Kings. So we push back the darkness as we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. The next one is forgive us our trespasses. And this is where we ask the Lord to forgive us and to wash us and to cleanse us from our iniquities. We're like Isaiah. We say, woe is me. You get into the presence of God. You start fasting and praying. You're praying for the church and you'll begin to say, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the glory. I've gotten a glimpse. See, as you begin to seek after God and you begin to pursue him, you begin to ask him to forgive us and to wash us and to cleanse us. This is here too. This is where we release people who have offended or hurt us. Boy, this is a big one in church. It's a big one in families. We'll get a roadblock here. This is some of the darkness. You start praying and then you, Lord, forgive me as I forgive those who trespass. Oh, Oh, much of the family issues that many problems that people would deal with as you begin to simply pray the Lord's prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Holy Spirit will begin to say, what are you holding on to that for? That's pushing back the darkness. That's driving back the darkness. We begin to pray, Lord, don't let divisions come into your church. Lord, don't let confusion come into your church. Don't let offense come into your church. If the enemy can sow offense and resentments and bitterness, he can stop us. But we say, Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Cleanse us as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray that no one in the church would hold on to their sin, that people would not hold on to their offenses. And then we'd say this, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. This is where we surrender to the lordship of Jesus. We surrender. Lord, I surrender. I acknowledge you, our Lord, your king. I submit my will to you. We're asking God, Lord, we want your will. We don't want our will. We say your will be done. That's what we're saying. We're not coming to God with our agenda, but we're asking him, Lord, would you provide for us? Would you direct us? Would you make a way possible for us? Your will, Lord. We're not coming and telling him what we are supposed to do. But we're asking him, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I'm going to ask you to pray with me about some specific things. These are things from my heart. And so God will honor that. The first one is that when you join me in prayer, you say, Pastor, how can I pray? How can I pray for 15 minutes? 
take these and ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you want for Lighthouse? What's your will? What are you praying for Lighthouse? The first one is that we become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That every person here, every person in this building, become a fully devoted, surrendered follower of Jesus. Okay? The second thing is for God's direction and anointing on every aspect of ministry for our church. God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. If you don't direct us, we don't want to do it. We're asking for your anointing. Can I tell you that the anointing breaks the yoke? Okay? It's, the anointing makes things run smoothly. The anointing sets captives free. It does miracles. So we're asking God's direction anointing. Well, number three is we're asking to maintain the family atmosphere of Lighthouse as we reach many people for Christ. Here's one of the challenges that a church faces. Jesus said that we're to be fruitful and we're to multiply. That's what he said. He says, if I give back to him what he gave me, you know what he says? He calls me a wicked, lazy servant. If I don't give him back more than what he gave me, if when he entrusts me with something, if it doesn't grow and multiply, he takes what he's given you away and he gives it to somebody else. So whatever God gives to you, you have a responsibility. Read the Bible if you don't believe me. Sometimes people will say, and there's this mentality sometimes where people will say, well, pastor, I like Lighthouse the way it is. When the Titanic went down, there were people on lifeboats who liked their lifeboat the way it was. There were lifeboats that had room for a whole lot more people. And because they didn't want to be uncomfortable, because they were concerned about themselves, they let other people drown. How dare we? How dare we when we have a world around us that's dying and is going to spend an eternity in hell? Not if they don't come to Lighthouse. If they don't come to know Jesus, people will spend an eternity in hell forever and ever. How dare we say, well, well, it's about my comfort. No, it's not about your comfort. It's not about what I want. It's Jesus, what do you want? Why did Jesus come? He came that he might seek and save those who are lost. That's his desire. That's his will. There's some really good qualities that Lighthouse have that we like, that we want to maintain that atmosphere as we reach many people for Jesus. There's some things about the DNA that we don't want to change. We like that. But we want to see God bring in people who are far from him. We want people who are lost to be found. We want people who are broken to be healed. We want people who are in bondage to be set free. The fourth thing is we need to ask God is for a harvest of souls. He says in the last days, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. So we need to ask him, Lord, you're sending a last day harvest. We want to be part. Imagine this. Imagine you work for somebody and they come. You work for Ernie down on the farm. And you come to his house. It's harvest time. And you're an employee who works for him. And he has to run out and he finds you sleeping, watching TV while all the other guys are out harvesting the crop. I can't have you around. Get out of here. You're wasting my time. That's what he's going to say to people. You're not concerned about the things of God. So we need to pray for a harvest of souls. Number five is unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. We need to pray because I'm going to tell you something. When you start moving forward for God, the enemy is going to try to do all. I'm going to tell you exactly what he'll do. He will raise up carnal people, carnal Christians, Christians who have sin in their lives You tell them that pastor said it. They have sin in their lives that they've not dealt with. And they'll sow division among the body. 
And everyone will be like, oh my, what's going on? What happened to the church? Nothing happened to the church, clown. I'm going to tell you what happened. People don't get the sin out of their lives. And so they, it rises up and it defiles many. So if anyone asks you, I already told you what's going to happen. In the last days, there's going to be those people who will they'll rise up and it'll be, oh, well, I didn't agree with this and I didn't agree with that. I don't really care. You need to come under God's authority in your life. If you sow division among the body, if you cause a little one to stumble, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and be cast into the sea. So I guarantee you, as the church moves forward, you're going to experience that. And you might even be the person. You start getting the tood. Repent. We're all good now, right? I'm going to tell you what will happen. When we start moving forward, the enemy will start trying to put divisions amongst the body. We need to make a commitment. Lord, it's about you. It's not about my agenda. Well, I didn't get what I want. Well, neither do I. We want what Jesus wants. If you didn't get what you want, here's what I want you to do. Align yourself with Jesus. You start aligning yourself with his will. And then you can pray, may his kingdom come and his will be done. You'll see that you get what you want. God will make it happen. We're going to ask God for more than enough workers. More than enough workers. You may say, well, pastor, why? Because Jesus' prayer, what's Jesus praying? He tells us to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest field. He tells us to open up our eyes and look unto the fields because they're white unto harvest. So when we're praying, I promise you, you pray that one. You pray for a harvest of souls. You're praying the will of God. You pray for unity of the spirit. You're praying the will of God. You pray for more than enough workers. That's Jesus's prayer. We're asking that there would be leaders to be raised up and empowered, that God would raise up leaders and they'd be empowered. And and we're praying, number eight, for a debt-free building that exceeds our expectations. You say, a debt-free? God says he can do exceedingly abundantly above all. I can ask and think some pretty good things. But so we're going to ask God. We're going to fast and pray. And we're going to say, God, exceed our expectations. God, go beyond what we thought. Go beyond Harley's abilities. Go beyond Rodney's abilities. Go beyond my abilities and exceed our expectations because that's the type of God we serve. He exceeds our expectations. Number nine, a supernatural increase. Something that we can say, there was no way. Ask God, give a supernatural increase. That he does something through our lives that people can only say, It was only done through God. There's no way anyone can take credit for it because it's a supernatural work. Let no man glory in those things. Let no man take glory. And then finally, the last one is that we be blessed to be a blessing. Lord, that we not be selfish. That as you bless us, we remember who our source is. And we remember why you've blessed us. Why you've provided for us. Why you've helped us. So that this would be the reality. Just like it said about Abram, may that be the testimony for us. That all nations of the earth, can you imagine that God would say that? That all nations of the earth would be blessed through you. That God would bless us in such a way so that we could literally not just touch, we think, wow, it's a big deal for you to provide a building or it's a big deal for you to provide. I remember when it was a big deal to to get a musician, a drummer. I remember I was like (laughs) fasting and praying then. It's amazing how God honors if we'll do things his way. Father, I thank you.
that Jesus has plans for his church. Jesus has plans for the teenagers in our community who come to fifth quarter who are lost without you. Jesus has plans for the children in our elementary schools who the world's teaching them all kinds of garbage, trying to lead them down the wrong way. Jesus has plans for them. Jesus has plans for our neighbors who are struggling with addictions and bondage in their life. Your word says that he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Jesus, he's praying for them to be free. He's praying for those who are sick to be healed, for those who are broken to be restored. Jesus has plans and Jesus is praying. And so we pray, Father, that we would come into a line with what Jesus is praying and what Jesus is doing in Lancaster, Chester, and Berks County. And I pray that you would allow us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we're making a commitment. We're going to fast and we're going to pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. We declare it to be accomplished as we do our part, Lord. I thank you that you're going to do yours. And I give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said...